us every day. God, our prayer is that we would know your heart. We have to know your heart, God. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here. We invite you here. Come and meet with us tonight as we hear an amazing speaker. Yes, the mother of our church, God. Yes, God. Holy Spirit, come and descend. Come and meet us. Father, thank you for that love that chose us so that we can choose you. to live tonight. Um, it's crazy that next week we have spring break and then after that we have seven more weeks left, uh, which makes me sad and excited, um, but more sad, but also more <laughs> excited for next fall. <laughs> um, but hey, if you guys don't know me, if this is your first time coming out, my name is Ryan Otto. I'm blessed to be the college pastor here with Alive, and we come from an amazing church uh, down on Lincoln called the Vineyard Church, and uh, we just thank you so much for being a part of our family. Um, well, I get to, the privilege and the honor to introduce someone really special to me. Um, she's not only one of the senior pastors at our church, but she's also such a spiritual mother, uh, not only figure to me, but to so many others in this room. And just real quick, just wanted to, thinking about a story about um, Di, and um, you know, I've known them for about five or six years now. And I came to visit here because my aunt and uncle live here in Champaign, and they're like, you gotta meet our pastors. And at the time, I was in seminary, and we just met, and we just kind of clicked. And when I went into mission work, they kind of followed my journey. And uh, so I knew a little, I, I knew happy more than died. And I remember we were at this conference um, probably about two years ago, or a year ago, actually. And I remember I, my, all my friends were praying for me, and I was hoping kind of that one day I'd get the honor to, to, to work with them and, and serve them and just come along and under them as a pastor and, and learn from them. And, but I knew Happy was a pretty, you know, um, big kind of businessman. Man. He was kind of a really high in leadership, you know, kind of like, you know, one of those football coach dads, you know, that just tell you how it is, you know. And he's not too gentle, he's loving, but he just kind of shoots it straight, which is good, right? And... Um, so one of uh, the guys praying over me, he was like, so when they see you, if they kind of treat you like they're going to be your boss and, 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 like, and they're kind of like all about leadership and just what you can do, this isn't the right church for you. But if they embrace you as a son, you will know this is them. And when they're praying that for me, I'm like, oh, shoot, man, I was really hoping this was a church for me. Man, I guess, the, I guess there's the answer. There's no way it's happy going to treat me like that. And, you know, I see them, and from far off, I remember Di just hugs me. And she just looks me in the eye, and I get choked up. And she's like, we've been following you, we've been praying, we've reading your blog, and we are so proud of you. And happy hugs me. And the first thing out of his mouth, he said, Ryan, I just met with this pastor. And he said that bosses retire, but fathers never retire. 
And for so long, I've been leading the church kind of as a boss and focused on leadership. But the Lord's teaching me how to be a father. And I was just blown away because I just had received that prayer. And I knew in my heart, even though it wouldn't happen for a year later, that this was the church that I was meant to serve at it. So it is my honor and my privilege to introduce Diane Lehman, who we all love so much. Freshman, 
But, you know, over the next year and a half, we dated, and we were both on the same page spiritually. We both said we want nothing to do with Christianity. So, boom, we're on the right page, same page as one another, promised one another we'd never become Christians. And um, when Hap finally uh, proposed to me, what he said to me was, I'm going to be a millionaire before age 30. <laughs> and you know what? I said, yes, put it there. Again, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was from a wonderful family, but actually a poor family. I was working in the slop kitchen over on 4th Street. I lived in Noble Hall before I moved into the DG house. And I also tried to clean houses, but actually I got fired, which is the reason I have a housekeeper to this day. So anyway, um, no, it's true. Um, so we got married, and with our promise to make that million dollars, have nothing at all to do with uh, the Christian faith. And then, sitting on the couch at 405 North Matthews, where the Beckman Institute is now, I met Jesus. And the first words out of my mouth um, were, I was actually reading a book, and some random book somebody had given me, and it was a story, and in the story was some woman who actually knew Jesus. And I went, well, I want to, I want to know Jesus. Like, I know religion, you know, I knew church, I knew rules and regulations, I knew all that, but I didn't know Jesus. And of course, I didn't know it at the time that that was the Holy Spirit, because he is the one who reveals Jesus and puts that cry in our heart. And I want you to know, you know, that was in 1971. And every day I still wait saying, I want to know you more, Lord. I want to know you more, because there's so much to know about him. The depths of Jesus are absolutely amazing. So, um, as you can imagine, that caused a little bit of marriage tension, but I won't go down that road right now, because eventually, uh, both Kathy and I, um, together, made this journey. We were water baptized in May of 1972, and he went on to start making his first million. I went on to uh, finish my master's in education and begin to teach special education here in Urbana, and uh, we got very active in a church, and uh, you know, our life was just humming along, except we encountered a problem that uh, we couldn't solve, money couldn't solve, medicine couldn't solve. And that was, we were told that there was 99.9% uh, chance that we would never be able to have our own child. And this was after many, many hours of uh, procedures and many thousands of dollars of surgery and drugs and, and anyway, Again, that's another story. Just know that when you encounter those obstacles, when you encounter those I cannot situations in your life, and you're already, some of you are already in them right now, that is not a time to run away from Jesus. It's a time to run to him. And because this ended up being the most life-changing event for us in that that whole crisis resulted in our meeting someone we didn't even know existed, and his name is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And in meeting him and discovering, oh my goodness, there's so much more to this Bible than we ever knew. There's so much more to Jesus than we ever knew. 
um, discovered that God was still doing miracles through a whole, again, a long, long story, um, received a miraculous healing, uh, conceived our first child. The, ba the Bible study that we were now hosting in our home, because we were so excited to tell everybody, did you know God still does miracles? I mean, we were U of I grads. You know, we both had master's degrees. We were told all that passed away, not to mention like it's like scientifically untenable. But we were so excited, uh, we started that Bible study, and then 15 months later, after telling everybody it's true, uh, when I discovered I was pregnant, that Bible study exploded and eventually became the Vineyard Church, which is now out on North Lincoln, the church that we both pastor. Um, that whole rabbit trail is the plan that we had figured out for our life, it never materialized. <laughs> but I want you to know the plan that Jesus has for you is so and I can say that now, many years down the road. And so whenever, again, you encounter things not going the way your five-year plan or your life goal or your passion seems to indicate, just stop and have a talk with Jesus and see what direction he's taking you and know it's so much better than what you have in mind. And so, you know, we went on to have um, not one child, not two, not three, not four, but five. And... Uh, and I've often said to God, you know, we were thought we were praying for one baby, and then we're going to get on with our life. You know, hey, heck, what about that million dollars? You're almost 68 years old. You know? <laughs> but uh, we say we're rich in so many ways, you know, many, many more millions than um, the actual dollar amount. But uh, as... as you know, we've pastored the church together now um, all these years and became very much involved with the Vineyard Movement in the early 80s and um, have now, since the 80s, both served on the national board of the Vineyard. There's 12 people from around the country that serve on the board. And in um, 2006, the Vineyard officially became what is known as an egalitarian movement, which means they agree with Jesus that women are made in the image of God and they too are called and gifted. Well, Jesus loves women and we're going to look at the way he interacted with a woman tonight in our text in John 8. But I'll just take, a, again, a short rabbit trail here. This is one of my passions. Um, you know, you can debate theology about women and men, and the church in America does a really good job at that. They do. <laughs> many, many books have been written on it. Um, I firmly believe, obviously there was a curse put on a woman in the garden. And uh, she was told that her husband would rule over her. And of course she would endure much pain and suffering in the whole area of childbearing. Well, I've already uh, proven uh, that that curse has been broken. That curse has actually been redeemed by the blood of Jesus in that the curse on me of barrenness and infertility, I got to experience that being broken. And then how awesome 
to live for 45 years in relationship with a man who honors me, respects me, mutually submit one to another. Why? Because we recognize Jesus as the head of our household. He is the head of our marriage. And it's the most beautiful unity and oneness you can imagine. And many of you are getting ready, you know, to enter that whole phase of your life. And I hope you each find a partner that respects and honors one another as made in the image of God, made of much worth and value, both sent by Almighty God to have dominion. And can all women lead? No, not all men can lead. <laughs> no, it's a matter of gifting. It's gifting, not gender. Okay, so I say all that to say again, my hermeneutic for women, or the way I interpret what God has to say about women, I look at Jesus. You see, Jesus was a complete radical when it came to women. And if you know anything at all about the culture of the first century there among the Jews and the Romans, but particularly the Jews, women were less than even a second-class citizen and all kinds of restrictions on them. And here comes Jesus, and he lets a, a woman who is bleeding, I mean, like, she's totally unclean, touch him, and she is healed. He sets Mary Magdalene free of seven demons, and now... Of course, the men all record, anytime her name is in the Bible, Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. Like, wouldn't you love that? Diane Lehman, out of whom Jesus cast five demons. <laughs> but he loved women. He, he, he called women, he healed women, he delivered women, they followed him. The women were the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. Yeah, that's right. And for anybody who doubts, well, can women really teach men? I go to where Jesus spoke to Mary Magdalene, the first person to whom he appeared after he rose from the dead. And he said, girl, you go tell the guys, I am alive. <laughs> and so I get to proclaim, just like Mary Magdalene, Jesus is alive. And you know, Ryan, I believe the name Alive is very prophetic for this group of college students because it has so many nuances. But one of the things I want to encourage you to always celebrate, to live, to reflect, to demonstrate, Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive. And he is alive in you. And he is alive in me. That is the secret to the Christian life. We get to walk around with God in us. And this God loves us deeply and passionately. So, yes, Jesus loves women. And I, I just have to say, this was startling news to me. And I was raised in a very patriarchal um, faith. In the church in which I was raised, men sat on one side and women sat on the other. Women had to wear their head coverings in the church. And uh, they wore what we derogatorily called Jesus jumpers. That was blue jean jumpers, you know, down to your ankles because you didn't want to show any of your leg. And um, women had to be totally silent in the church. As a matter of fact, if there was a church meeting and they would say, okay, brothers and sisters, we've made a decision and we're going to paint the sanctuary brown. Okay, brothers, and then all the men on this side would go, well satisfied. 
And then they would say to all the women over here, so I'd be sitting over here with my head covered in my Jesus jumper, and they would say, sisters, and this is what we would have to do. Because we couldn't speak in the church. So um, that was the model with which I was raised. Uh, although my parents shared a true partnership marriage. And so it was in no way did I ever see like my dad lorded over my mother. I saw him always honor and respect her. So I got to see that model. So it was after being filled with the Spirit, because you know on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on whom? All flesh. And, and the writer there, of course, he's quoting Joel, that it's being told by Luke in the book of Acts, says the Spirit was poured out on both men and women, male and female. And so with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the redemption from the curse, women now have been restored. And Jesus modeled this all throughout his ministry. And we're going to actually look at that now um, in our text tonight. You've been in a series, Why Do We Believe in Miracles? Or Why Do We Believe? And you're looking at the miracles of Jesus. And by now you know, um, we don't just look at the miracles of Jesus, we do the miracles of Jesus. Okay, we get to experience the miracles of Jesus. And this is so wonderful. And of course we can look at them and learn from them too. But, uh, you know, that's what changed our life when we discovered Jesus is still doing miracles. And we needed a miracle. And uh, I've since seen so, so many miracles uh, as I've traveled across this country and around the world, and it's been so exciting to see what God does over and over and over again, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, thankfully. He doesn't change. Yeah. So good. I mean, we have to change. You know, we get to do the changing, but not, not him. So good. So... Our, our text is from John 8, and this is a familiar one for a lot of people um, on the woman caught in adultery. And I thought it would be good, well, I have a confession to make. I love Jesus movies. So I always have. And they've actually gotten a lot better. You know how a lot of Christian movies are really cheesy, like really bad. <laughs> um, but, but they've gotten a lot better. But I used to watch um, Jesus movies a lot. My kids gave me a really, really hard time, just like, Mom, that's just so corny. Why do you do that? It, that like, as a learner, I loved to, to just get more of a sense of how Jesus interacted and spoke and not necessarily looked, because most of the Jesus in the old movies had blue <laughs> eyes and blonde hair, which obviously no... Middle Eastern man looks like that. But so I thought it'd be good to watch the clip from uh, this scene in John 8. Um, and this is from the movie Son of God, which is actually a very well done movie. It came out a couple years ago. So um, are we going to run that from here? Okay, so let's run that and then we'll come back and update the text. Stand like six inches. Stand over. To try. 
I'll give my stone to the first man who tells me that he has never sinned. privately. 
Like, there was actually no need for her to be drugged into the public square, to be humiliated, to be shamed. Uh, but obviously they were doing it to set Jesus up for a trap. And part of that trap had to do that, I mean, they had in between, no pun intended, a rock and a hard place because Roman law forbid the Jews to execute. So you actually couldn't do that, but Jewish law, you know, forbid a, a woman to be caught in adultery and, you know, demanded that she be stoned. So, uh, you know, either way, you know, what's he going to say? Well, of course, Jesus is a genius. <laughs> and uh, I, I love, how, you know, his, his response. They were not able to, to trap him. And, um, you know, he says, you who have no sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. And at least they had, you know, enough of a conscience to know, well... You know, that's none of us, so the stones were dropped. And then, you know, the text tells us, you know, he says to her, you know, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one. And he says, and neither do I. And, of course, this is huge. I mean, it's so unlike so many Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, we Christians are known for being judgmental and critical and condemned. And, I mean, I, that's sad to say. And any of you who've ever experienced condemnation, you know, from another, you know how devastating it can be. Now, I'm not saying that guilt is wrong. Actually, guilt is good. <laughs> guilt is from God. Guilt alerts you something's wrong. You know, I need help. Uh, now, you're not supposed to live there. But Jesus had no condemnation for her whatsoever. He only showed her compassion and love. And I know I was uh, raised, again, in in a home where it it was a very shame-based home. And, you know, I was told over and over again for even the smallest infraction, shame on you. And at the time, you know, it bred such a self-hatred in me because I couldn't be like what they wanted me to be. You know, I was outgoing. I loved dance. I loved art. I loved music. All those were forbidden. They were all considered very evil sins. And one time I, I went and, and went to, to take a dance lesson because I knew that my dad would not be home until like 6.30 at night from work. And the dance lessons ran every Friday from like three to five. Well, one Friday, um, he came home early. And when I got home from the dance lesson, uh, you, you would have thought I committed murder. You, you, you would have thought, you know, <laughs> I had, done heroin, you know, done something, but I've been at a dance lesson. <laughs> and the condemnation and the shame, of course, shame is where you begin to, like, something's wrong with me. You know, there's just something wrong with me. Uh, not just what I do, but with me. And, uh, you know, that was a very, very difficult uh, environment. And it has taken me a while. I mean, thank you, Jesus. He brings such amazing healing. And just as he did here for this woman, no condemnation, neither do I condemn you. Just total, total compassion. Um, 
You know, he loved her. I, that's what I loved about this clip. You could just tell how he loved her. Such a pure, beautiful love. And, you know, that is a revelation he wants to give to every person. He wants you to know that he loves you. He loves you. He loves how he has made you. He loves what he has put in you. He loves you. And, you know, that doesn't come overnight. You know, it comes in fits and starts. It ebbs and flows. Sometimes you just believe it by faith. But that still pleases him. But because we are a movement that believes in experiences and we can feel his love, we can, we can experience uh, what it's like to have his passion poured into us and to soak us and envelop us. I want to encourage you, don't ever stop asking him. Like, show me how to receive your love more. You see, the more you receive his love, then you're empowered to love others. Mm-hmm. And only then. And, and empowered to love him back. You know, we love him because he first loved us. So his compassion here is just so, so beautiful. But it's really important to know that Jesus' compassion, as empathetic as he is, it's never just empathy. It's never just empathy. And the next point, (laughs) so he doesn't condemn, he shows compassion, but he accepts no compromise. No compromise whatsoever. And, you know, what did he say to her? Go, and from now on, sin no more. See, we should never, ever, ever confuse compassion with compromise. Or think that in any way that they're equated. Because they're not. You know, Jesus could have said, okay, go. Try harder next time. He didn't. He could have said, okay, go. I mean, I understand. Sexual temptation is hard. And he does understand. That's what's so amazing about Jesus. You know, Hebrews tells us very clearly. That's why he's such an amazing high priest. Because he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And that's what makes him such an amazing intercessor when we come boldly before the throne of grace and he says, I'll give you whatever you need, anytime you need it. I understand. I understand. And he does. But he does not compromise. He didn't even say to her, okay, go and try to sin less. He said, go and sin No more. Hmm. Did he really mean it? Absolutely. And this is the most astounding thing about the good news. You see, he was, he was foreshadowing exactly what the cross would accomplish for us. He was showing her I'm going to take that sin. I'm going to destroy that sin. I am going to give you a brand new creation. I'm going to wipe out your sin nature, and you're now going to become a partaker of divine nature. 
Lauren, that's good. And now, guess what? You're empowered to sin no more. Now, everybody gets nervous when I start talking this way. I can see everybody's kind of going, yeah, but that's, that's not true. Like, no, like. Well, I didn't say it. Jesus did. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus didn't say you'd never be tempted again. Jesus actually didn't say you never would sin. Do you know you don't have to be a sinner to sin? That your identity, which he will change at the cross. He will make you a new creation. He will move you from being a sinner to a saint. That's what he calls you. Blameless, holy, clean, a fit home for his Holy Spirit. You don't think he's going to live in some dirty place, do you? No, absolutely not. But you don't have to be a sinner to sin. You see, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. If that weren't, if it weren't possible for him to sin, then that's just a joke that he was tempted in every way. So he could have sinned even though he was not a sinner. What about Adam and Eve? Were they sinners? But they sinned. I mean, that's a whole other teaching. Um, but the point, the point is, we have so diminished what Jesus did at the cross. We have so diminished the amazing thing that his blood and his sacrifice and his resurrection purchased for us the ability to live as a brand new person, overcoming sin, living righteously, bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and self-control. That's what he had designed from the beginning. And that's what he is speaking prophetically to her, I believe, when he said to her, Go and sin no more. You see, when you meet the Savior, you don't need to be sin conscious anymore. You need to be Savior conscious. And so much of the church is sin conscious, right? Well, I get, what, what, sin do I, what sin do I need to confess today? What sin do I need to keep under control today? What, who do I need to be accountable for my sin now? I'm not against that, except I want to challenge you. Be Savior focused. Be Savior conscious. Look every day to the fact that the Lord God Almighty lives in you. <laughs> he lives in you. He said, I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You are a partaker of the divine nature. You are one with me. Oh, it's so good. We've lived so far below what his blood paid for us to have. And so... He does not condemn. Why? Because he took condemnation. That's what he took on the cross. He took our condemnation. He shows incredible compassion. But if you track Jesus' compassion all throughout the scripture, compassion is never just, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I understand. Compassion is he's moved with compassion. The tears start to come and he says, be healed be free. You're forgiven. Rise up and walk. Compassion comes with empowering. It's not just empathy. It's the empowering to experience the reality of the presence of God. So he comes with no condemnation. Compassion that has power. No compromise. Well, what if I do sin? Well, we have an advocate. But why live that 
Why not wake every day saying, Jesus, today my desire is to live in the reality of everything you paid for. I want to live as a saint today. I want to live in the identity that you have given me. I want to be able to go and sin no more. And oh, just in case you need a little bit of help, he gives you that helper. And I am one who always beats the drum of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because sitting on my couch, at my home, the home I live in now, the home where this, our church started, and I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me, my life has never been the same. And then I got to person after person, probably over a hundred people, never kept count, coming to our couch that summer, our laying hands on them. Were they Christians? Oh, yeah, many of them were Christians. Did they have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. You can't get born again without the Holy Spirit. But they, hadn't, they didn't have a river of, of life flowing out of them. And we got to lay hands on them and watch them get zapped, filled, empowered, baptized, whatever you want to call it. So much so that uh, that couch became known as the power couch. <laughs> And if you've never experienced that, that's one thing I want to pray for tonight. I never want to leave a gathering, particularly of young people, if you've never experienced the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a one-time event. It's to be filled over and over and over and over. So, did he really need go and sin no more? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because he knew. The cross wasn't just about sins being forgiven. The cross was about the sin nature being crucified. You know, he says that very clearly. We know our old self was crucified with him. Paul writes that in Romans 6. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive. There you go. To God. I know, I love it. And the Holy Spirit so empowers this. Um, as young people, I know, it's very easy to get, again, into self-effort, you know, because we want to be responsible, and we, we want to do our part, and that's good, but I want you to know, a relationship with Jesus is not self-effort at all. It's spirit effort. Let him empower you. Let him strengthen you. Let him give you all that you need. The Holy Spirit is amazing. So, in conclusion, the challenges I want to leave you with as we go into worship and ministry. Uh, I want to challenge you as ones who are filled with Jesus Christ. First of all, live free from condemnation yourself. And I hope that means you are walking righteously, but also that you don't condemn yourself. You know, uh, Satan's name is accuser for a good reason. He's always accusing us. And the number one thing we just tell him is shut up. You're a liar. Which is his name. I mean, really, why would you listen to him? Why do I listen to him? No, he's a liar. He's a tempter. He's an accuser. With names like that, I'm just glad his works got destroyed at the cross. And, and so, no condemnation. And when you begin to live in the reality that Jesus doesn't condemn you, you don't condemn other people. Because you start to see them as he sees them. You start to see them as the new creation they could be. You start to see them as one with the blood of Jesus, free from sin. You get to see them as the next saint 
tell them the good news. Your judgment, your condemnation has been taken by the one who loves you. And you can know him. So I want you to live free from condemnation. I want you to definitely be men and women filled with compassion. That's another thing. This was a, a gift that came when we came into the vineyard movement. I, I didn't know how to minister with compassion. And again, I don't mean sympathy, but the Holy Spirit fills your heart with such desire and faith to see people set free, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So we want to be men and women of compassion, just like the Jesus who lives in us. And we definitely want to be men and women of no compromise. You see, when we compromise, it's like crucifying the Lord afresh. Why? He died. That you could be free from sin. Not just forgiven. That's good. But I'm talking free. Free. I'm not saying we're sinless. You know, I know there's a bunch of aberrations of all that. But I want to call you to live as the saint that his blood has made you to be. And then that means you live in the reality of the new creation. You're a new creation now. A brand new creation. You don't have two hearts, one bad, one good. You'd be dead in a minute, physically <laughs> speaking, right? When you have a heart transplant, that old diseased heart was taken out. You have a brand new heart, clean, blameless, holy, and filled with God himself. Now, live in the reality of that. It starts with believing that. And I, for one, am tired of believing my experience. Why don't we believe what Jesus says? And this is what he says. And we are calling on people. An army is rising up that says, no, I believe. Because why? It gives him all the glory. It gives him his rightful place as king. So do we get words for ministry now? Or what, what do you do? Where's Ryan? Yes, because we're going to go into more worship, right? Yes, so give some ministry direction. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, just as he's getting that turned on, um, before and when we were praying, um, Serena here, who gave uh, the prayer at the introduction, you know, she moves in the gift of the prophetic. And... For those of you who aren't familiar with that, that is a spiritual gift. It's in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the operation in the New Testament is outlined in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, is uh, one of speaking the heart of God with an encouragement and with faith to, to grab onto it. So or, or the prophetic in the Old Testament was more like, you better shape up or God's going to destroy you. <laughs> now it's... God's made it possible for you to shape up. <laughs> but what she said was, she had a sense that, you know, God was doing something with this college group, with this alive group. And it had to do, in part, with the faithfulness that happened myself from coming here as college students, staying, and, and really, all these years, our college ministry has really just been a flop. It has. And it's just grieved us. And it's not that we haven't tried, but do you know there's never been a powerful Holy Spirit movement on this campus ever? 
why don't we be the first? Like, why don't we be the men and women? I know, why not? on the campus. I'm not saying that. And, and there are everyone's, the Holy Spirit's for all. But why don't we lead the charge? Well, as I was thinking about that, when Serena said that and during the first worship, I was just like talking to God about it. Because I, I don't take any of that lightly. Like, I'm not one who's like, yeah, ooh, ooh. You know? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't I, I be a true leader. My legs were too skinny. So, no, it's true. It was really so painful. But, um, but, no, this is what I was thinking. This is 2017. Uh, heading into 2017. Sorry. I was jumping ahead to 2017. Because God is rattling the truths, because this is what's coming in 2017. That will be 40 years since happy and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 40 years is very significant with God. 40 years is extremely, so you do biblical study on that, you know, they wandered in the wilderness, I'm not saying we have them, sort of, for 40 years, and now we're gonna head into the promised land, we're going to walk in all that Jesus' blood paid yeah. for. Yeah. And I believe we're gonna see Just those who feel stirred to have a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Those women who maybe have felt marginalized in, the, in any way, Lord, that they weren't somehow equal. Or those who were called to lead but felt maybe there wasn't a place. I want to pray for them. And Lord, I, I thank you for all the men too. I thank you that we're a team. I thank you that together we're your body. It's not men or women. We're all one in Christ. And I thank you for that. And, Lord, just whatever else you want to do tonight, I think you want to do some prophetic ministry, but uh, we'll go ahead and just start to worship. And I think, see where that goes. Is that right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I just, can we give her a round of applause? Yeah. So yeah, the Lord, uh, it's a little later than normal, but we're still going to worship, and we're going to worship through these two songs, and uh, it's called Healer in His Great Name. And I just encourage you that if anything is resonating in your heart right now, and your heart's beating out of your chest, and you're like, you know what, I know I need that. I've known Jesus, I've heard about the Father, but man, I don't really know if I know the Holy Spirit. I don't know, I don't know if I've ever really talked to Him, and I know we talk about this a lot, but go, it's going from colorful line to colors, guys. So in the midst of these songs, leaders will be in the back, dies even gonna be in the back. Yeah. And just take that risk, take that step, and let someone pray for you. So Father, I thank you that you are a healer, God. And I thank you, God, that when we've been lost in the dirt, and when we've sinned and made mistakes, you don't look at us in judgment or cast us away, but you get down in the dirt with us. And you look us in the eye and you say, my son, my daughter, I believe in you. Stop hurting yourself. Stop sinning. I have better for you. You heal us by your love. 
you'll heal us by your love tonight. Remind us that you're a good father. There's no other name like your name, Jesus. That you're not a myth, you're not a folk, you're not a tall tale, but you're real. Bless my family. Thank you for your love.
what's happening in our lives, no matter what's swirling around us, that we know our Papa and our Daddy.
can you come back up front, please? And uh, I want to invite someone uh, very special up front. And uh, this is my grandma, and who I love very much. I call, I call her Jen. And yes, the name Jen came from my aunt, who's like a sister, and she made me watch these like Barbie rock star girls when I was little. And she used to pick me up and dance me around, and so I started calling her Jen. And um, but the reason she's up here, and uh, we've been talking about believing and how God believes in us. And uh, growing up, it was I kind of had somewhat of a hard life. We all do in some ways, right? And. Uh, always kind of just feeling like the underdog and feeling like there wasn't a lot of people in my corner. And I remember uh, one day, he's probably eight or nine years old, and Jen called me over and I sat on her lap and she looked me in the eye. And she said, one day you're going to do something and be something great. And you're going to be able to look at everyone who doubted you and said, I did it all by myself. And I remember as a little kid, I looked back at her right away and said, no, I won't. I look at everyone and said, I did it with my gem. And I share this story because, uh, guys, we all go through hard times, and we all need people to believe in us. And that's what this ministry is meant to be. It's not even supposed to be a ministry. It's supposed to be a family. Because family stays together. Family sticks together. And family believes in each other. And, guys, when Jesus left, I, I, I don't mean to get on a soapbox about this, but he left so that we could have our best friend. So that we can have the Holy Spirit. Because we all need people. We all need gems in our lives. Grandmas in our lives. But most of all, we need God. And he spoke through the Bible, through the Logos word. But he also speaks now today through the Rhema word. And guys, I went to seminary. I've studied the scriptures. But you know who's changed me from the inside out is the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to just ask it's late and I know it's hot, but I think the Lord's doing something right here. And you know me, if we go for it, we go for it. I'd rather go swinging for the fences than strike out. But um, we just have this sense that there's a couple people that have never asked the Holy Spirit to really fill them. And guys, I know that can sound weird and because some people are weird with it. But he's my best friend. He's our best friend. Every day when I wake up, he is my connection with Jesus. He speaks to us. He tells me who I am. He reminds me of the truth. He reminds me of the promise. He reminds me that he believes in me, just like my gem did. And so we're going to play this song, Break Every Chain. And I'm going to ask, Di said that God's raising, raising up warriors. So I ask you, who will be bold tonight? And who will come up forward? And it's not for a show, but there is something about even responding and coming forward. And we did this one other time last semester and it blew up. But who will come forward and let die pray for you? Who will risk to be a fool in this moment so that you can be a fool out there in this world for his glory, for his kingdom and his love? I just want to get enough a line here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, if, if your heart's tugging you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 
like there's three more people. I don't know why. I feel like there's three more people. If that's you. There we go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. That's you respond. There is power in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Break every chain. 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 Okay. You've already demonstrated your faith, and I want you to know. Yeah, there it comes. Let it just come. Oh, there, yeah, right there. 